Rush hour traffic, don't you just love it? There is a stalled vehicle in the right lane causing a bit of congestion. You might want to avoid this route. The forecast, cloudy and windy and cold. Thanks a lot. I need you to process these. All of them. By Friday. Thanks. Oh, no ketchup. Awesome. Thanks for nothing. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. On, go, 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 go! Oh, thanks a lot. It's not like we need you to catch a pass or anything. Why are you thankful about that, Daddy? I was just being sarcastic, honey. What's sarcastic? That's uh, what Daddy's like when he's in a bad mood. So you're not really thankful? No, I. I am thankful. I'm thankful for a lot of things. Thankful for you, for one, and thankful for Mommy. God's been really good to us, taking care of us. Not so much of our football team, but he's taking really good care of us. Thank you, sweetie. For what? For reminding me. Sunday was a fifth Sunday, and obviously, to me, anytime you can go to church on Sunday morning five times in a month, that's better than going to church four times in a month. But there is a little family dynamic of a fifth Sunday week that makes the fifth Sunday week not as exciting for me. And that is because at our house, fifth Sunday week means dad's responsible for the dishes. So, as we work kind of our plan for our home, Julie does the first week. It used to be Luke's week, but he up and left us. So anyway, so Julie, Julie does the first week, Joel, and then Micah and Josh. And I help. I do dishes regularly. But there's something about when, you know, they have something going on in the evening time, and I just do it because I want to. Versus knowing that going into the week on Sunday beginning in the afternoon, I am the one who is responsible to do the dishes the rest of the week. So I'm plowing through my dishes this week, and I'm looking at this passage, and I'm thinking, you know, you're not always thankful when you do the dishes, but you should be, because dishes mean that you have food in your house. And those late-night ice cream bowls that they didn't wash out and are stuck, and you've got to get the brush and rub on them, and those late-night pizza dishes I, I wake up to in the morning where they, the pizza sauce has stuck to the plate. Sometimes you take a breath and you think, Lord, thank you we do have food and that we have people in our home. 
And that gave a different kind of thought process as I went about my duty this week, my responsibility. The same can be true as we think about our spiritual life. We are to know God's will and do God's will, but how we know and how we do God's will is is shown through how we act. How do we do God's will? What is my attitude as I follow God's will for my life? Well, Paul didn't leave that out in his prayer for the church at Colossae. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to pick up in verse number 9. And today we're actually going to read through the whole prayer of Paul that he prays for this church in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. But we're going to focus on verses 12 through 14 today. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that, or that, you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering. And notice those last two words, with joy. Then we turn over to verse number 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And with that, let's pray together. God, I I thank you for uh, the truth of your word, and I ask that you would speak to us today, and that our lives walking out of this building today, walking into our Bible study, walking through uh, our community this week, would not only reflect those who are seeking to do your will, but doing it with joy and thanksgiving. In your name we pray. Amen. Paul begins his prayer for the church at Colossae by praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. God wants us to know his will, and that's exactly what Paul prays. And then, as he kind of says, look, I want you to know God's will, then he says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. The picture is, is God not only wants us to know his will, but he wants us to do his will. And that is exactly what Paul is praying for this church. Now, all of us have either been on one side or the other of this. You have been asked by maybe growing up your parents to uh, take out the trash. And you didn't want to take out the trash, but you knew that there would be strict discipline if you didn't. 
So you went out and you slammed the door on the way out and you drugged that trash. This was before the rolling trash cans, by the way. You drugged that metal trash can all the way down the driveway and you slammed those lids on it. And then today, maybe you ask your kids, would you take out the trash? And they got in one of those big blue, uh, you know, city of St. Charles, city of St. Peter's, uh, whatever color they have. And they're wheeling it down and they bang it into the side of the car and they're ticked off and they leave it crooked for the trash man. Listen, the, the picture is, it's not only important on doing God's will, but how we do God's will. It's very clear in Scripture, if we look in the book of Colossians, chapter 3 and verse number 17, where he says, whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do in, do, whatever you do in word or deed, you're to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Or Colossians 3.23, where it says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not men. So the picture is, is that Paul is praying that they would not only do God's will, but they would do God's will with a right heart and attitude. God does not want us walking around with a bad attitude, grumbling about doing his will. God does not want to feed a toxic disposition that kicks the ground and storms off every time he asks us to do something for him. He wants us to do that as we see in this passage, the end of verse number 11, with joy, and then verse 12, giving thanks. So we see that it is set up now. Paul has us. You know, I can imagine them reading this. Oh, Lord, you know, fill us with the knowledge of your will as Paul's praying. Lord, that you, uh, Lord, that you would fill them with the spiritual knowledge. And, and Lord, uh, help them to walk worthy. And they're reading that as Paul's praying for them to walk worthy. And then he says, and you're to do that with joy, giving thanks. Sometimes God's will is challenging. Sometimes God's will is uncomfortable. Sometimes God's will goes against the flow of life. And yet he calls us to do his will with joy and with thanksgiving. And in this passage, he gives us three reasons why we should do God's will with joy and thanksgiving. First off, we do God's will with joy and thanksgiving because of the future. He looks ahead in verse number 12 and says, look, I want you to look ahead here and think about why you should do God's will with joy and thanksgiving. Notice what he says in in verse number 12, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I want you to look ahead and I want you to give thanks and show joy because of the future. Notice that word that he uses, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Qualified you. We get a picture of our position, that we are qualified, and that ultimately we're going to be qualified for an inheritance. That's what he's pointing us to. Have you ever been unqualified? As a child, you uh, went to uh, Six Flags or a theme park, and the little guy with the sign says, if you're not taller than my hand, you can't ride this ride. Listen, you're too short. You're not qualified. You get into elementary school, and, you know, you look at the 
middle school and high school trip that they're going on or you see the fun thing that they're doing at the cube and guess what? You're just not old enough yet. Give yourself a couple more years and you're going to be in that age where you can do those things. Then you become a high school junior or senior and you're wanting to go off to college and, and you send your uh, high school transcript somewhere and they say, oh, your GPA, not quite high enough. Your ACT score, not quite good enough. You're not qualified to get into this institution. Then you work through college and you get your degree and you start applying for jobs and they say, oh, you're not qualified. You don't have any experience. That's the picture. Often that we feel in the world, then sometimes the Lord calls us to do something and he says, look, I want you to step out and take this step of faith. And you think, oh, Lord, you know, like Moses, Lord, I can't speak. I can't go in front of Pharaoh by myself. I'm just not qualified. And yet here we find that God has made us qualified. He has made us to fit. He has given us the authorization not because of who we are and what we've done, the intelligence that we bring, the the knack, the know-how, the spiritual gifts that we have. But notice, it is the Father who has qualified us. The Father has done this through the work of the Son, and we'll see that in just a few minutes. He has qualified us. Now, notice, not only do we see our position as qualified, but then we see our possession. We are qualified to receive an inheritance we are, are qualified to receive this inheritance. Now, as we think about an inheritance here, I believe that he's calling all believers to picture heaven before them. You should do God's will with joy and thanksgiving because I have something stored up for you in heaven. Have you ever heard someone make a promise, you know, if you'll get your work done, if you'll do this, then I have this. The picture is, is that God uses motivation and points us to eternity and points us to heaven and says, look, when you trust me, you're qualified, you're authorized to receive an inheritance, not because of anything that you have done, but because what have I, what I have done through sending my son Jesus to die on the cross for you, to rise again from the dead so that you could ultimately experience eternal life. The inheritance is there. This is something for all believers. He's not talking about rewards here. He's talking about the inheritance, something that we all get and that we're all going to share in. One day, uh, I, I may receive an inheritance. I hope it's not for many, 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 many years, but uh, when, when my parents pass away, I, I, I may receive an inheritance. Some of you have received an inheritance but I didn't get any of it. Some of you, your family will leave you an inheritance, but I won't get any of it because I'm not in your family. I'm not part of your family, so I'm not going to get your inheritance. And you're not part of my family, so you won't get my inheritance. But the picture here is, is that all of us in the family of God, those who have been qualified, those who were on their own absolutely unqualified, but God worked in their life through Jesus and he has made qualified, are all going to receive an inheritance. 
all of us, every one of us are going to receive the joy of eternal bliss and glory with the Lord Jesus, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is and what he has done. That's the picture. So Paul is motivating them. Look, I want you to know God's will and I want you to do God's will, but I want you to keep your eye on the prize. There's this great joy that's ahead of you. I have qualified you so that you will be a partaker of the inheritance and heaven awaits you. So today, let me encourage you. Let heaven motivate you. Let the glory of God motivate you. Let eternity with him motivate you. Let the gifts that he has for all eternity for us to share in motivate you to walk in God's will with thanksgiving and with joy. But secondly, he challenges them not only to do God's will because of the future, but secondly, to do God's will because of the present. Notice with me in verse number 13. He says this, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. There's a picture here that we have had a change. We have been delivered and we have been transferred. We do God's will with joy and thanksgiving because God has delivered us from darkness. God has delivered us from the power of darkness so that I ought to walk with joy and thanksgiving as I fulfill God's will and do God's work in my life because he has done something in my life now. He has rescued me. He has brought me out of the world of darkness. It's been 20 years now, but the pictures still resonate in my mind. Ivor Sims was a crane operator in Atlanta. And he was up 250 feet in the air on, in the cab of his crane when a large building down below, some four to five stories, began to burn. There were pictures all in the Atlanta area about this dramatic uh, fire and flames shooting up higher. It got too hot in his cab. And so he walked out on the arm of this crane. And as he walked out, the rubber soles of his tennis shoes melted on the, the metal of that crane. And he went out to the very end of the arm on the crane. And as the firefighters down below are looking 250 feet up in the air, there is Ivers Sims. The Atlanta Fire Department knows that they have a big problem. And they don't really have anyone adequate to meet that need. So they get a helicopter driver, uh, pilot from the Department of Natural Resources, who is able to drop firefighter Matt Mosley on an 80-foot rope, and he is able to land on the end of that crane with high winds and flames below, and he harnesses Ivers Sims into this uh, harness with him, and they both take off, and he is rescued. It is a dramatic picture. It is a dramatic scene. And again, though it happened over 20 years ago, I can, I can still see. Matter of fact, I watched it this week again just to, to be reminded of the, the sheer magnitude of this rescue. But can I tell you, that compares nothing to the rescue that God did for us 
in bringing us out of the darkness, the darkness of our sin, the lost condition of our soul, absolutely entrapped and in bondage to the evil, the evil one and in his kingdom. When we cry out to the Lord Jesus for salvation, we find that God sent his son and God can rescue us. He's delivered us from the darkness. But notice then what it says. And he has conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of his son. This is something that happens in the present. We're not only delivered from the power of darkness, but then we are transferred into the kingdom of his son. And what a transfer that is. We are now free from the bondage of sin, and now we've been brought into the kingdom. Once we were, were a child of the evil one, now we are a child of God. Once we were enslaved to sin, now we are free. We're in the kingdom of the Son. When uh, over Christmas holiday, our, our friend Peter Cheggy was here. Peter is in the... A military, he's in the army, and, and you may have remembered, I called him, he sat actually right about where Jerry, maybe a row behind where Jerry is, and uh, he's stationed in Hawaii right now. But Peter was born in Kenya, and in October 2016, we celebrated when he became a citizen of the United States. And now he's not only a citizen, but he serves in our military. What a picture that God takes us and conveys us, he transfers us from one place to another. Now, this is not like a job transfer. A job transfer, you might just move to a different city, but work for the same company. God said, no, no, that's not the picture here. I am rescuing you out of one one place, one destination, and bringing you to a completely another one under different authority altogether. It's now that you are in the family. You are a citizen of heaven. Revelation 21 talks about our name being written in the Lamb's book of life. Philippians 3.20 gives us the picture that now we are, our citizenship is now in heaven. I don't know if you see, if you're on Facebook, but this week, one of our own uh, church members, Ambika Mulperu, uh, became a citizen of the United States this week. It's a transfer. God says, look, I'm going to give you a transfer. You have a transfer into to my kingdom under my authority with the love of my son. What a picture. What a vast difference. Do God's will with joy and thanksgiving, looking ahead to heaven looking at the present and saying, God, as I look at my life, I'm amazed and overjoyed at what you have done. But thirdly, we do God's will with joy and thanksgiving, not only because of the future and not only because of the present, but we do God's will with joy and thanksgiving because of the past. And now he points specifically and clearly to the work of Jesus. Notice with me in verse number 14. In whom, he says, we're transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. And then in whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
Now he's going to focus specifically and personally on the life and the work of Jesus. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. When we think about because of God's work through his son, Jesus, we recognize that through Jesus, we have redemption. We have redemption. The picture is, is that uh, we, in, in a real legal type setting, we were like slaves on a slave market and someone paid the price. They paid the ransom and they then let us free, emancipated. In him, we are free. We are emancipated. We are redeemed. The payment for our sin has been paid in full. That's why I always love to take us back to John chapter 19 and verse number 30, where Jesus on the cross uses that one Greek word, tetelestai. It is finished. The debt is paid in full. We're redeemed. We're free from sin. We recognize now that we're part of his kingdom. We're a son of uh, one of the, the, in the kingdom of the son of his love. We recognize now that we're going to go to heaven. We have had this radical change in our life. Now we're looking to a radical, glorious future with him. But it all stems from the fact that Jesus died on the cross to redeem us. So Paul says, look, I want you to look ahead. I want you to look in now, but I want you to understand that all of this can take place because of one thing, the cross, the empty tomb, the price that was paid. In him, we have redemption through his blood. It is the picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. He paid the price. Jesus paid it all. That's the picture. But then he says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiven. I'm forgiven. That God has taken the slate and and cleared it. That God has taken that record of offenses and, and wiped it. And I love the biblical pictures of forgiveness in the scripture. That Psalm 103 reminds us that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Or as Hezekiah in in Isaiah 38, 17 says, that he cast all of our sin behind his back. It's like he puts it back there. He's not going to remember it. Or as Jeremiah 38 or... uh, Jeremiah 31 or uh, says in verse number 34 that he is going to blot our transgressions and remember them no more. That's the picture of forgiveness or Micah 719 where he casts all of our transgressions or all of our sins into the depths of the deepest sea. These are biblical pictures that show us that when God forgives us, he forgives, he forgets, he blots it out, he erases it, he casts it behind his back, he separates it as far as the east is from the west and he buries it in the depth of the sea. That should bring us to a place where we say, wow, 
God, you're so good. You've taken everything I've ever done, every thought I've ever thought that's displeasing to you, every word that I've ever proclaimed that didn't honor or glorify you, every act of rebellion or selfishness or self-centeredness that I have ever done and you have forgiven them. Now notice what what Paul writes in Colossians 2.13. If you're in Colossians chapter 1, just look over in chapter 2. Notice verse... Chapter 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Now notice these last words. Having forgiven you all trespasses. Guess what? My sins of the past, all of them are forgiven. My sins of the present, all of them are forgiven. My sins of the future. All of them are forgiven. You say, buddy, how could God forgive us for sin that we haven't even committed yet? Well, let me ask you this. How many sins did you commit when Jesus died on the cross? You weren't even born yet. You weren't even thought about yet. So the amazing work of salvation is such that God can forgive us of all sins, past, present, and future, wipe them off the slate and allow us to stand before God, not only clean, but then with the righteousness of Jesus placed on our account. That's why we do God's will with joy and thanksgiving. God calls us to know his will. Then God calls us to do his will. But he doesn't want us grumping around about it. Is your service grumpy? Is your giving stingy? Is your attitude less than desirable? You're following God's will on the outside so that everyone else looks at you and thinks, oh yeah, that's a pretty good person there. That's a pretty good guy. That's a pretty good girl. But on the inside, you're in rebellion. You don't want to do it. Paul prays for the church at Colossae, that they would do God's will with joy and thanksgiving because they would look forward to heaven. They would look at the awesome transfer that God has brought us out of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son right now. But they would look back at the cross and say, Jesus paid it all. Now, everything that I do from here on out is going to be a thank you to him. Where's your heart at today? Do you know God's will? Are you doing God's will? How are you doing God's will? Is there an attitude of joy and thanksgiving? And with that, let's pray. God, would you uh, just challenge us Lord, you have challenged me. And Lord, we may, uh, as they were challenged in the book of Nehemiah, may the joy of the Lord not only be our strength, but be the heart of our attitude as we seek to know your will and do your will with joy and thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.